Well, good morning again, everyone, and to everyone watching us online, uh, morning. I'm glad you're joining us on Facebook. Um, it's not often that I get a chance to address the church so easily and just simply like this, so I'm going to take this, this little chance I get to say just how thankful I am for you. I've got a pretty sweet gig here. Um, it's, it's my job to study the Bible and write about the Bible and occasionally, like today, teach about the Bible. And in exchange, I do a little technical work here and there. Um, and uh, Jim isn't here to defend himself, so I can say some nice things about him, too. Um, I'm thankful for a pastor that's, that's willing to take a chance on me and let me take over for a Sunday. Uh, it might be a big risk for him. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but even more, I'm thankful for a pastor that's willing to kind of coach me through preparing a sermon. Uh, it's, it's probably a, a, something that benefits everyone here. Uh, if he hadn't helped me along in preparing the sermon, it probably would not have been as good as it hopefully will be. I think that made sense, logically. But anyway, um, so consider this kind of a blanket citation. I, I, I was given some notes in preparation for this. Um, it, it, it was kind of special. Jim told me that these notes were something that a mentor gave him when he was learning, and now he's giving it to me. So this is at least like the third generation of, of, of pastors that it's gone through. And I think that's really neat. But anyway, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 today. And while you're flipping there, I'm going to cover a little bit of the context and a little bit of the background of what's going on. If you'd like to study this passage deeper on your own later on in this week, it is also the same event happens in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and Luke 5, 17 to 26. Uh, it's a really great to cross-reference look at some of the different perspectives on the same event here. Um, but as far as what's going on in this passage in Mark, we, we haven't done any kind of lead-up to this, so I'll catch you up to speed. So about midway through the first chapter of Mark, Jesus started his earthly ministry somewhere around verse 14. And he went through in Galilee and healed lots of people and started calling some of the first disciples. Um, chapter 1, verse 39 kind of sums up that first chapter pretty well. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So naturally, Jesus gained some notoriety pretty quickly, and he started to draw a crowd wherever he went. So in our passage here this morning, Jesus finally returned to his home base in Capernaum, uh, had a couple days respite from the crowds before they started beating down the door and filled up the house to hear Jesus preach and hopefully see some miracles. So without further ado, let's, let's dive into this passage and see what it tells us. So chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And when he had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not go near him because of the crowd, they moved to the roof above him. And when they had made him an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were thus questioned, uh, they were thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, take up your bed, rise, and go home. 
And he immediately rose, picked up his bed, and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified, uh, glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day you've given us to gather together. Uh, please illuminate your word to us. Show us the meaning that, that you have for us today. Uh, show us where we fit in your narrative. Soon in we pray. Amen. So in this passage, we meet four distinct characters. Not all of them are like one single individual, but we've got some groups that we'll, we'll, we'll group into one. So we've got Jesus, who's the protagonist of the whole Bible, but in this, uh, in this account uh, in particular, um, he's the one that everyone is gathered here for. Uh, we've got the crowds, the ones that are gathered. Uh, this would include the scribes, the people who were kind of the, the hecklers of the group. Um, we've got the paralytic man, the guy who probably would have been ignored if it weren't for the fourth character, the friends. These are the ones that carried the stretcher for him. So these characters can serve as archetypes for personalities that you might find in the church. Uh, that's, that's the capital C church, both the, the universal church and also the local church body. So we'll, we'll look at the archetype of what Jesus put forth, the Holy One, uh, the reason that we gather together as a church. Uh, we'll look at the archetype that the friends put forth. Um, the, these are the ones who are helpers. They do the work to support the body of believers. We're going to look at the crowd, the hindrances, the ones who keep people from seeing Jesus. And lastly, we're going to look at the helpless, the ones who are helplessly separated and most in need of God. So as we go through each of these personalities this morning, I ask that you, you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you fit in this, in this narrative. Which character do you most identify with? Um, and ask where God wants you to be and ask where you are. And if there's a difference between the two, ask how you can make it right. So we'll start off at, at the best spot. We'll start off talking about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is, is all throughout this passage. Well, he's the one that's not so much of an archetype as much as he is still living and active in the church. Because as, as we know, we don't worship a dead God. We worship a God that is active and working still. The church still gathers because of Christ. It's not something that we used to do and now we don't do anymore. We still gather because of Christ. Our mission here at Westside is to preach Christ crucified. And that is not possible without Christ. So in, in John 12, 32, um, Jesus tells his disciples that when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Um, this was in direct reference to his crucifixion up front when he was lifted up on a cross. Um, but it, it was also a reference to his resurrection that would come later when he was lifted up out of the grave, proving power over sin and death. By defeating something that was really tangible to us, which is death, uh, we know that Jesus has the power to defeat something that is more ethereal, less, le less tangible to us, and that is sin. And that's a pattern that Jesus also followed in this passage that we're looking at today. And that is part of what it means to preach Christ crucified. Um, to quote the Princess Bride, Inigo Montoya has a line in that movie, um, let me explain, no, no, there's too much, let me sum up. That, that is my attempt to sum up there. Uh, Jesus draws all people to himself. It's interesting to note that he is the one that does the drawing. Um, 
It's not fancy preaching, great worship smoke machines, top-tier live stream, or awesome stage design, or even good coffee. All of those can be good things, but they are not what draws people in. Jesus will draw people to himself. It's also interesting to note where Jesus was drawing people to. Up until Jesus began his earthly ministry, only certain people were able to be in fellowship with God. Out of the whole world, God picked the Jews. They were, they were his race, his chosen people. And out of those Jews, the priests had to serve as middlemen between Israel and God. So only the priests were really able to have fellowship with God. And they weren't able to do this everywhere. Um, to the average guy, God was only in the tabernacle or the temple or the synagogue. But when Jesus came around, he didn't just stick to the synagogues. Um, when we see him here, Jesus isn't in a holy place. He's in a home. Um, we see him teaching in a house. And it, it's yet to cease to amaze me uh, about how in God's plan to draw all men to himself, he, he saw fit to not leave it all to us. He came to us. Uh, it's something that I pray I never get tired of. By humbling himself and stepping out of heaven, Jesus lowered the bar of entry into fellowship with himself. He's not leaving it all on us to come to him. He's coming to us. That's, that's the wonderful part of the gospel, and I love that. So the next personality we meet, this is the first one that you can kind of start to associate with. If you feel yourself associating with Jesus, talk, let's talk afterwards. There's a problem there. Let's talk about the, the four friends, the helpers. The, the church needs helpers, and it needs helpers that have unity, determination, love, and faith, just like the four men that carried the paralytic on the stretcher. So first up, the, these four men had unity. Uh, they had to work together to get their paralytic friend to Jesus. They would have never gotten him there if they hadn't been unified in their goal. Four people moving in four different directions carrying one stretcher aren't going to get anywhere. Um, I remember a few, few months, a couple months ago, I don't know how long it's been, sometime recently, we were remodeling the stage. William was spearheading that, and it, it looks great, I might add. Um, but during this process, we had to move the piano, and he called on me and, what were there, eight, nine people? We had a bunch of people there, uh, and we needed to move the piano. We all, it, it, the piano was somewhere over here, and now it is back here. We all had to work together to move it. All of us, we, we picked up a spot and moved it straight back. We were all unified in that, just like the four men carrying the, the stretcher had to be unified. That's very practical unification, but that's not the only kind of unification we need in the church. We need to be unified in teamwork, but also in message as well. If we're not unified in the gospel, then we can confuse and drive away unbelievers. Uh, and that becomes a hindrance, which we haven't gotten to yet. So what does it mean to be unified in the gospel? It doesn't mean that we have to agree on every single thing, point for point, 100%. But there are some central truths that we have to agree on, the chief among which being that God's gift of salvation from sin through Jesus is the only way to fellowship with God. An unclear and deluded gospel will only serve as a hindrance to helpless unbelievers. And we'll talk more about hindrances in just a moment. These four friends also had determination. Uh, they weren't there just to sit and listen. They didn't come to see Jesus for cheap curiosity. And they weren't scared away by a little inconvenience either. They didn't dwell on the problem that was between them and Jesus. They went about the work of finding a solution. 
When they saw the crowds and saw there wasn't enough room, instead of trying to, uh, instead of just sitting down and saying, oh, well, it's not going to work this time, they went about the work of finding a solution. They climbed up on the roof and started cutting a new skylight in. Uh, I don't know if that made the property value go up or down. There's no telling. If there has ever been a year for determination in the church, it's got to have been this past year. It's probably not the worst, but it's definitely one of the most determination-filled years in my lifetime, at least. Um, I've been blown away by all the worshipful creativity that I've seen in the church. Uh, when lots of churches had to start meeting in person, so many churches went to online that we started crashing servers, and I think that's amazing. Um, uh, Facebook and YouTube were having trouble keeping up with them. Uh, and, and all of you watching on, on Facebook, you're, you're kind of enjoying some of the fruits of that. We, we just kept things going once we got online. And, um, we were determined to get the gospel out in any way we could. We weren't going to let small things get in our way. Next up, the, these four friends had love. They would have had to have had love for their paralyzed friend. Um, the, a paralyzed man would not have been able to work. There, there wouldn't have been any disability support. He would have been completely dependent on charity from others. So these four men that were carrying him were doing it without any promise of payment or reward. And what is it that makes you want to serve someone without any promise of payment or reward? Well, that's, that's love. Love is what drives us as believers to serve. And that love is something that goes both upwards and outwards. Uh, that love upwards towards God, we love him and we want to lift him up, but also outwards towards others. We love God so much that it overflows out of us and goes to others around us. Lastly, the, these four friends had faith. Um, we're, we're told in verse, uh, in verse 5, uh, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. It wasn't their unity, it wasn't their determination, it wasn't their love. Jesus saw their faith. Even more than, the, than love for their paralyzed friends, these men would have had to have faith that their work could have helped them, that their work was not in vain. They must have heard about this man traveling around Galilee, teaching and preaching and healing, and love drove them to help their friend, but their faith that what they were hearing was true is what fueled them. They had love enough to help their friend, but faith enough that it would, it would help. So for those of you that are starting to see that you might be a helper, but you've been helping for a long time and you're a little burnt out, uh, take this as a, as a note of encouragement, that work done in faith is not wasted. God has a purpose for it. If your work is something that God has laid on your heart to do, uh, then uh, let me encourage you to keep working in faith in that work. Let your upward and outward love drive you to what you do and let your faith fuel you through it. So to kind of sum up, love is what drives us, but faith is the fuel. So it's been pretty encouraging so far. But now we're going to get to the, the, the toe-stepping part. We're going to talk about the hindrances. Um, and for this part, I'm going to read back through the couple of verses that the hindrances come up in. And that's verses 6 through 9. Now, when some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts... Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, uh, and that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? 
Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? So in verse 6, we meet the primary antagonist of this account, and that's the scribes. So the scribes would have been, uh, along with the Pharisees and Sadducees, they would have been the religious leaders, and they were often put at odds against Jesus. And the more I, I grow in my faith, I have a lot more empathy for these guys. Uh, it would have been their job to study Scripture and, and write about it and teach about it, which is what my job is here. But they got so deep in the weeds and, and, and they missed the forest for the trees. They would have been experts in the Bible, but Jesus kind of broke the plan that they had made. So the, the, the case in point here is that they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. Uh, they say, who can forgive sin but God alone? Which, if Jesus had not been who he said he was, the scribes would have been well within their rights to call him a blasphemer, because claiming to be God is not good. Um, but in all their study of Scripture, they missed it and ended up on the wrong side of history, because Jesus was who he said he was. Um, people going about the work of actively getting in between unbelievers and God, like these scribes were, are usually pretty easy to see, but they're not the only kind of hindrance that we see in this passage. Let's circle back to verse 2. And many were gathered so that there was no more room, not even at the door. They were all clogged up in the house. Uh, they were separating people who needed Jesus from Jesus being inside the house. Have you ever had a blood clot? I haven't. So, like, from my non-medical understanding of it, here's, here's what I get. So, you've got proteins and platelets that are in your blood, and normally they would flow and, and, and just, like, flow normally through blood. But occasionally they'll just start piling up. They'll, they'll get stuck and start piling up, and eventually if they pile up too much, then it forms a blood clot, which stops your blood from getting where it needs to go, and it causes medical problems. Talk to, talk to Doc if you want to know more. I don't know. That's about the extent of my medical knowledge. Anyway, point being, the, the, the pieces in your blood that normally would be used to rebuild it if, uh, if say, if you got a cut, these are things that would form scabs. Uh, things that would normally be used to rebuild things, uh, if they're used wrong, become a stumbling block. See, in the church, we can cause the same problem uh, if we are not doing what God has called us to do. Uh, if you're content to come in and listen to sermons and sing along to songs, but never want to do the work of making the gospel known to others, then you become not an active hindrance, but rather a passive one. You become like the blood clot, um, just like the crowds that were there separating the paralytic from Jesus. They may not have needed to see Jesus that day, but they wanted to just for, for the fun of it, for the clout. Jesus had some pretty, pretty strong words to say about people that kept others from getting to him. So for this, I'm going to flip over to Matthew 18, and we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about that. Looking at verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of him and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever receives one child in, in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Those are some pretty strong words. So, sounds like something out of a gangster movie. If you are seeing that you might be a hindrance to the gospel, and that is a very dangerous place to be. If you find yourself identifying with them, immediate repentance is your best option here. Uh, there is grace and forgiveness uh, for restoration to come about, but you need to immediately stop and get your life where God wants it to be. So that brings us to the last personality, and that's the paralytic. In verses 10 through 12, uh, we're told, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on heaven and earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified, God saying, we, we never saw anything like this. So what's the miracle in this passage? It's not the paralytic being able to walk. That's not the miracle here. That, that was the, the, the picture left so that they would know the miracle had already happened. The ability to walk was just to serve as proof that the man's sins were forgiven. I'm going to attempt... I'm going on to uncharted waters here. I'm going to attempt a sports analogy. So, bear with me for a moment. Okay, so Team A, you'll say Team A is like a middle ground team. They're, they're okay. Team B is a really great team. They're really strong. They're, they, they're like undefeated. And then Team C is like still really strong, but like a little bit less than Team B. We're all tracking there. So if Team A beats Team B, therefore Team B can beat... Team A can also beat Team C because they beat a better one. We all tracking there? This is why I don't do sports analogies. Um, point being here, Jesus defeated the man's sin and then showed that he could defeat the man's sin by defeating something more visible to the people around. And that was his paralysis. See, just like the man was helpless against his paralysis, he was also helpless against his sin. His paralysis became a picture of that for us. Um, we too are helpless against our sin, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is why it is so important for the church to go about the work and bring in sinners to Christ, because Christ can heal and forgive. Um, uh, a friend of mine in Allie's recently had a, a child, and something about childbirth is just strange to me. You know, you've got two people walk in, but three people come out. It's just, something's not quite right about that. You've got the same situation here, where four people walk in, but five walk out. See, just like the paralytic in the story was able to walk out on his own after the burden of his paralysis was lifted off of him, uh, you can walk with Christ after the burden of your sin is lifted off of you. So if you find yourself identifying with the helpless man and feel helpless against your sin today, then boy, do I have some great news for you. See, just like the paralytic was able to pick up his bed that held him down for so long, you can pick up the sin that's been holding you down and lay it down at the foot of the cross. 
You can pray for forgiveness, but more so pray for freedom. Freedom not to live the way that you ever want, because that will just put you back in the same bondage you were in before. Uh, but rather, freedom that lets us live the way God wants us to, the way God intended from the very beginning. So to kind of wrap up, I'll, I'll ask you, where do you fit in in this story? Um, are you lifting Jesus up in your church or in your personal life or in your community? Are you letting Christ rule your life? Uh, if so, then good. If not, then pray and ask how you're supposed to do more. Maybe you're feeling convicted today about being a hindrance to the gospel. Uh, if so, God has the grace and forgiveness to, or the, has grace to forgive and to restore. Or maybe you've got this gnawing conviction in the back of your mind. You don't really know what all of this is about. You're not entirely sure if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. And if that's the case, you may very well be one of the helpless ones. You've been crippled by sin, and because of that sin, you are separated from God. See, just as Jesus helped the paralytic, he will do the same for you. So come and ask Christ to forgive and to heal. Ask God for the freedom that only comes by living the life that the Creator intended. And one last thing, uh, as, as I can call the worship team back up. One last thing. In verse 12, we're told that the paralytic went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God. See, immediately, immediately this helpless man became a helper. So to kind of wrap up with a, with a call to action, if you're looking for a place to serve but don't know where, a place to help, uh, I know William's looking for more talented people for the worship team. Uh, I'm always looking for volunteers for the tech team, but there's many other places to serve in the church. Uh, it's not limited to just worship and tech. Those are just the two that I know well. Uh, if you're wanting to find more places to serve, then grab one of our leaders afterwards. Um, you can talk to me, you can talk to William, you can talk to Jay in the back. Uh, there's plenty others. Just, just find them. If you want to learn more about finding a way uh, to, to find your niche to glorify God, and come, come back Wednesday. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be teaching more on that, and I'm looking, really looking forward to that. So to, to kind of wrap things up, um, as, as we close in prayer, ask God to reveal to you where you are in this account. Um, are, you, are you a helper? If so, then I'd, I'd like to encourage you. Are you a hindrance? If so, then repentance is, is the best thing. Uh, are you helpless? If that's the case, then I, I hope I've, I've shown you the gospel today. So without anything else to say, I'll wrap it up here and put the ball back in your court. So I'll pray, and the worship team will come back up, and then we'll be wrapping up for the day. Dear Lord, thank you again for what you've given us today. Thank you for the gift of Scripture. Uh, I hope that the words that you've given me have been able to illuminate to us today. Please be with all the people that are here. Uh, with the helpers, uh, please encourage them and strengthen them to keep going. With the hinderers, please convict them and show them the error of their ways. With the helpless, please show them that, that you have the way to help them. And in all that we do, let it bring glory to you. And it's in your name we pray. 
Amen.